Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. My name is Carrie. My name is Mitchell. This episode is a doozy, so get ready. Make sure you have tissues ready because this interview has all the feels. Kate Scott, one of the Pathway Podcast co-hosts, did a great job of interviewing Pathway Chiefs of Staff, Larry Fincher, and his wife, Lorinda. Lorinda and Larry were both widowed several years ago, but God brought them together and they've now been married for over four years. Their story of loss, renewal, and persistence hopefully brings encouragement to you no matter what you're facing in your life right now. God is always good, and Larry and Lorinda's stories are a testament to that. Without further ado, here is their interview. I'm originally a South Georgia girl. I come from the swamps, the Okefenokee Swamp, in uh, South Georgia, just north of Jacksonville, Florida. And I was raised by a daddy or by a family. Uh, Daddy's a preacher, and Mama was a stay-at-home wife and raiser of all us children and took care of everything. But I was the oldest of five, and um, I hear myself um, saying things that Dad said and saying things that Mama said, and um, it's kind of cool to realize the impact they had on me. And... uh, But I married young, back in 1970. I was 18 when I got married, and uh, that was kind of normal back in that day. And uh, we spent uh, 21 years. He was Air Force, and uh, that was back in the day when all the men did military service, unless they had uh, deferment for some reason. And so... um, we spent 21 years, and at some point during that 21, he surrendered to preach. And uh, we were living in Louisiana, spent 20 years there, had three daughters, uh, raised them in uh, the churches there in that area. He surrendered to preach, and uh, we worked uh, as associate and with youth for um, most of that 20 years, working with teenagers. Then in uh, 95, I believe it was, um, God called him to a church, the church at Flatwoods in Mountain View, Arkansas, um, called him as pastor, and uh, we moved up there. And by this point, all the girls are grown. Uh, Two of them are engaged to be married, and so one was in high school. And uh, we spent 20 years there with those people, um, inherited or were added to, I should say, uh, three son-in-laws and uh, 10 grandchildren while we were all there. And uh, the people at Flatwoods Church began became like family to me. Um, then in 2009, we had just finished uh, an Easter presentation and um, Wayne had a heart attack and died mowing the yard. And he was healthy. He didn't have any issues that anyone knew anything about. As a matter of fact, had just recently um, had a good checkup. So it wasn't even caught at that point. And then um, everything, we had bought a home the year before and um, everything changed immediately. And I had to 
figure out how to do life alone. The kids all had uh, married and were living their own lives in three different states. And um, I had to figure out where to go. I didn't have any blood family in the area, but my church family was as close as or had had known me um, very closely. We had shared lots of uh, difficulties and lots of tears and lots of joys at the same time. Um, I had done a lot of ladies ministries and done things with the youth groups and led musicals and just trying to figure out now, how am I going to make a living? Because that's one thing I had never had to do. And my background was uh, really somewhat similar to Lorinda's. I was tell people I was raised in LA, which is lower Arkansas, but actually lived in Los Angeles as, as a kid for a few years. And I had a typical, well, I, I was raised in a pastor's home and, uh, you know, a stable uh, family as uh, most most families were at that time. And uh, probably the first tragedy I, I came into was I lost my dad when I was 18 years old. And two weeks later, I came up here to school to uh, Fayetteville where we live and uh, went went to school, ended up graduating with a degree in electrical engineering, uh, bachelor's and master's, and then went into uh, work in the defense industry in Dallas and married about that time, my first wife, Delnita. And uh, early on, I guess we, we started a couples class in Sunday school and it was the home builders class. And we sort of built from that teaching on the family. Uh, I worked for uh, a corporation for, well, really 30 years. During that time was heavily involved with family ministry and working in the corporation and a company moved, moved us from uh, Arkansas down to Louisiana. And uh, I went ahead and finished out 30 years with a uh, corporation and uh, went full-time ministry with, uh, I was family pastor at a church. Then in uh, 2004, things really changed. Uh, my wife got a uh, chest x-ray back and showed some spots on her lungs and uh, was diagnosed with uh, mixed, connective, mixed connective tissue disease. Essentially, it was an immune system and problem and it was attacking her lungs. And so it was sort of a slow slide after that. And uh, we uh, had gone to a, uh, on a mission trip to Thailand came back through Hong Kong and uh, she got uh, flu and things went from bad to worse and she, when we got back she was uh, admitted to uh, ICU in Shreveport and uh, this was about I guess a couple of months or a month before uh, Lorenda's husband Wayne died he actually called me at the ICU to uh, let me know that they were praying for us. And she wasn't expected to make it, but she pulled through. And then for about seven years, we, we fought it. We went to uh, National Jewish Health in Denver, which is premier hospital for pulmonary disease. And we were at Dallas 
and then into that seven years, uh, things just got worse and worse. And so uh, we ended up at, at uh, Baylor in Dallas ICU. And so I, I stood there by the bedside to uh, watch the uh, heart monitor drop from about 117 to 80 to 40, and then she flatlined. And she was gone. And so that, that was uh, the same type trauma that Lorinda had faced. Mine was over a period of years. Hers was uh, immediately. And so we both faced, uh, you know, a, a tragedy in our lives. And uh, it always brings the question, and Lorinda alluded to that a while ago, like, okay, now what? Now what do you do? And uh, there were some things that, that we learned, both of us, individually, before we ever really talked about this together much, and found out that, that this is uh, it's a grieving process, and it, it is a process. And when you face a tragedy, whether it's like the loss of a loved one, or, or you know, it could be loss of a job, uh, it could be any number of tragedies, but you're either going to get bitter, you're either going to get battered or you're going to get better. And uh, it's a choice of how you're going to respond to that. And actually, uh, trials, even though we don't like it at the time, trials can be a benefit. You know, I, um, I've always been one that depended on God because um, he had been faithful to me and I tried to be faithful to him. Um, but I didn't understand uh, why, uh, why he took the important one and left me. I had had a brain bleed back in 2005 and survived when I shouldn't have. But um, it didn't change our lives, you know? I, we continued to do what we had always done. But I read a, a chapter, a couple of verses in Habakkuk, and I, I was searching anywhere and everywhere, trying to see what God wanted me to do. And I found the section where Habakkuk recorded, um, you know, if everything fails, if there's no crops in the field, if there's no cattle in the stall, if there's if there's no provisions at all, you know, if we've lost everything yet, I will rejoice. And uh, that God is God. He's my salvation. He's the one that uh, is my strength. And so I began to uh, say, okay, Lord, you chose this for me. I didn't choose this. Wayne wouldn't have left me voluntarily. Um, and so you've chosen this. You've got to show me what to do. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I didn't know where I was supposed to live. Like I said, I was in Mountain View and uh, I didn't know if, you know, everybody kept telling me, well, the former pastor's wife can't stay here because she would disrupt the new pastor trying to come in. And so I went to where each of my children were um, to see if, you know, they all said, mama, we'll make arrangements. You could stay here, you can live here. 
you know, always with them. And it would have been great to have been with grandchildren and to have gotten to do life with the girls. I've never been able to do that uh, once they got grown and married. But um, I even went back to South Georgia. Uh, at that time, Mama and my siblings were all still there, thinking maybe that's where I need to go. And after a couple of weeks, I realized that um, I didn't belong there anymore. And when I left, my brother said, okay, Lord wants me to go back with you. And I said, Bo, you don't have to do that. You can't just leave everything. He said, oh, yeah, I can. Because if I don't, then I'm not going to be obedient to what God's called me to do. I said, well, mm. load up. Let's go. And so we packed what we could in my minivan and brought him back uh, to Mountain View. And he found a job and began working and began helping me at the house up on the mountain. And I started trying to figure out what to do next. And um, number one thing was, how am I going to make a living? Um, I had been a stay-at-home wife and mama, and, and I had sold Tupperware, and I had done random part-time jobs. I had been a substitute teacher in Bossier Parish for 18 years, but I didn't have a degree. And um, one day I walked into the community college that's there in town. It's Ozarka. And uh, I asked the lady, she goes, well, Lorinda, what are you doing in here? And I said, I need for you to show me the fastest way to learn how to make a living. And she said, well, okay, come on, let's talk. And she handed me uh, the brochure for the LPN classes. And I said, well, show me how to do this. And she did and God began to work. I was amazed. I had taken not even a year's worth of classes back in 1970. I had taken random classes at uh, Wayne State and the University of Maryland, which were the extension classes offered when we were stationed overseas, and all of those credits were found and applied, and um, I said, now what do I need to do? And so she signed me up for some classes and she said, you have to do pre-registration. You'll have to take a test to be admitted into the program. And I started school two and a half weeks after I walked in there. And I hadn't been a student at a classroom outside of the church <laughs> in 40 years. So at 57, I began taking classes again and um, tested into and began the LPN program there in Mountain View. Um, it was so funny because I was older than, well, my professor was three years younger than my youngest child. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was older than most of the parents that were in class with me. And mm. so here I am, you know, helping these girls. I sewed on patches. I brought food. I treated everybody. I became Mama Lowe to that whole bunch. And, uh, and the, the unique thing is one day my teacher called me in. She said, Miss Lorinda, do you remember me? And I thought, oh my goodness, have you visited church? Where, where do I know you from? And I said, I'm sorry, hon, I don't. And she goes, I was the nurse that received Wayne in the emergency room. I'm mm. the one that processed him. 
And I said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. And she goes, no, I'll never forget you. And, and it was like, okay, now God's got people in place. And the nurse that knelt and prayed with me uh, in the ER, uh, he was the same nurse that prayed with us outside the classroom every week before we tested. And so I was in awe of how God was bringing people together. Now, I had thought I knew everybody in that little town. And I found out very quickly that my influence and my work was much greater outside of the church than it had ever been inside. Hmm. Because these young ladies, um, very few of them had any kind of uh, affiliation. Uh, with church groups and it was sweet to watch them come at different times when they had challenges and ask me to pray with them and um, look to me as a matter of fact um, as I did my morning devotions and I would ask God to give me what I had to have to get through today he would often give me scripture and I'd jot it down and stick it in my pocket and there were many days that I was able to pull that scripture out of my pocket and hand it to one of those girls and say, here, this is what God gave me. Let me share this with you today. And, um, you know, by the time um, I finished school, before I ever finished, a physician in town called and he said, uh, my nurse that has been my nurse for I don't know how many years is wanting to retire. retire. Would you be interested? Yes, sir. I didn't care what it made. I didn't care what the hours were, but yes, sir, I'm interested. And uh, so I actually began working before I finished or before I graduated. And uh, I actually took my boards while I was uh, serving as a nurse. And I got to looking back at the charts and uh, that was back in the day when you hand wrote the charts. And there was one, one patient in particular, I had written student SPN student practicing nurse and then I had written GPN graduated practicing nurse and then the next entry was LPN licensed practicing nurse and so that was kind of cool you know that I could see the process and that um, that I could do that but so these these same nurses that ended up in your class were the same nurses that were with you when Wayne passed away. Is that correct? Did I hear that? One of them was, yes. One of them? One, the, the nurse that was my teacher is okay. the one that uh, had processed Wayne when they brought him in. He was actually DOA. I had begged them to please don't stop working, but he was flatlined when they checked him on the ground there at the house. Mm. And I asked them not to give up, not to quit. You see, Lazarus was brought back after three days. I knew that just in this length of time, God could have done anything he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, but she, uh, he was um, an organ donor. And so she was making arrangements for that to happen. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and taking care of whatever they did in the emergency room. I don't even know. During, during this time, uh, Lorenda was going through all this. One thing she didn't mention is that not only did she graduate, but she graduated the top of her class. <laughs> she not only survived, but she thrived. 
And uh, in, in my case, I can remember two weeks, right at two weeks after the death and the funeral and so forth, I was getting a cup of coffee one morning in the kitchen and it just dawned on me. It just hit me like a ton of brick that, you know, this is not temporary. This is permanent. This is for real. And uh, things have changed and are going to change. And I had retired from a corporation. I'd been on, I was on a church staff as family pastor, as I said. And so I got to thinking, okay, what do I do next? Uh, do I continue family ministry? It's going to be difficult to do a family ministry with uh, being single, not having a wife, and uh, someone to more or less counsel with ladies. And, uh, and so the more I thought about it, I thought, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, I knew that I was still called to work with families, but I just didn't know how it would, how that would work out. And so at the coffee pot that morning, I made a commitment that God, I will continue to work with families, but you're going to have to show me how. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, a turning point. That was a choice of, uh, I'm not going to get battered. I'm not going to get bitter. Uh, I'm going to take this and, and uh, it's, it's going to get better. But, you know, we, we talked um, a lot after we met and after we got married about sort of the process you go through to how do you, how do you cope with this? And uh, so there are several things that we found in common. And uh, so this, this is something we sort of like to share is uh, what do you do after uh, a tragedy like this? What, what are some things that you can do? Well, the thing I had to learn to do um, is I was having to put into practice scriptures that I had memorized and scriptures that I had learned to memorize. Um, I was reading just this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, where he talks about casting down imagination and every high thing that uh, we put in priority. And, and um, I knew that my imagination could run away with me to the negative very quickly. And then in mm -hmm. Philippians, um, where he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians chapter four. And then uh, he said to uh, be careful about nothing. Don't worry. You know, I've got this. And he goes on into uh, the whatsoever's in the King James, it talks about whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things, and it goes on and on. And then the next verse, it says, do these things. You know, you've learned it, you've received it, you know, now do it. And uh, about that time, you know, I'm memorizing, I've worked for years trying to memorize uh, scripture, and um, Tammy had given me a book, that's my youngest child, and and the book is, um, was 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. And someone had challenged her. Her life had been difficult. She had had tragedies in her life to write down the things that she was thankful for. And so, you know, it tells us in another place to renew our minds. And so I began to have to 
not focus on the things that were negative because that would overwhelm me very quickly. I had to begin uh, focusing on the things that were good and honest and true and not the what ifs because the what ifs will drive us crazy. Um, I've let, I had let them do that. Um, and it can paralyze you if you just let it carry you away. But I began, um, I lost the house because I couldn't make the house payment. And, and so I moved into a rental property and, uh, it, it was a wonderful home within uh, walking distance of Flatwoods. I mean, I could see the steeple from the front window and, and we were able to, um, make it home and the things I couldn't get rid of, I put in storage and, uh, and we made it work there in, um, uh, in that rental property. But I began every morning, you know, with my Thank you, Lord. Before all, before my eyes even opened, I would be going through my thank you, Lord, for this warm, comfy bed and covers I can pull up and cuddle into a pillow and put this roof over my head. And, and thank you that I could smell coffee brewing. And thank you that I could put my feet in slippers and go get a cup of coffee. And I could just go on and on with just the little things. Um, I could look around me as soon as I walked out the door and see the beauty of all that God had created and that he let me live in such an awesome, amazing place. And he put um, my brother that was willing to walk away from everything um, to come and if nothing else, if the only thing that man did was to be a presence in that house so that I didn't become afraid every time I heard a creak or a a noise and uh and he was such a blessing that he did that for me you know and i don't know i just had to learn that uh yeah life is hard things are difficult it doesn't turn out like we planned um i had to quit comparing you know I, lord i've served you all my life why you know i can't do that um you know, why is this one getting to have hers? I mean, I would go to somebody's home and I'd watch them snuggle up next to each other or hold hands walking in and it would just break my heart because I didn't have that anymore. But, um, but I did have the scripture that told me that God was holding me by the right hand. And I did have the scripture that talked about Abba Father. I could climb up in his lap and he'd wrap his arms of love around me. And so I had to learn, and I think I finally got to the point after six years, I realized that I had learned to be content, like it said in Philippians. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a learning process. I didn't, um, didn't do it well, always, but I learned. I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of journaling. Um, I tried not to cry in front of people, but some days it just, I couldn't help it. And, uh, and but I worked, I worked hard. This was a six year yeah. kind of grieving. six year process. Hmm. Living, paying bills, going to church. Never missed a church service. Continued to sing in the choir, 
continue to teach my Sunday school class. Um, I did have to let go of several things because, you know, when you're a preacher's wife, you get a lot of different things. I, I can imagine, like, I mean, y'all talk about, like, the things that y'all did to kind of keep keep going or to endure, to persist, uh, to read off the shirt there. But uh, I can imagine what, what, why didn't you just walk away? Like what kept you faithful to God? Cause I can imagine those things happening and some people being so bitter and so battered that they're like, no, I can't do this anymore. And, and that's, you know? that's the point is that mm. you have a choice and working with families and working in ministry, you see when people have a tragedy in their life, uh, some people do. They just become bitter, and they just turn from God. Uh, other people just hunker down and just are battered. They just say, okay, I, I just can't take anymore. Or you can let it make you better. And it, it is a choice. It, it's it's truly a choice. It's you know, something that you don't like, and, and you know, uh, we found our first step was you just have to reboot and refocus, that you know, this is the way it is, and uh, you're going to have to move on from here. Uh, probably, you know, the next step that was very difficult was just re-engaging in life. Uh, you know, uh, you just... I know I was on church staff and I, as a family pastor. I did marriage counseling. And uh, Linda mentioned the verse a while ago in Philippians where Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And, and that's true. You learn to be content. It's, you, know, you don't have to like it. Uh, you don't have to understand it. But uh, you just make that choice. And I know for me, doing marriage counseling, post-marriage counseling after the loss of my wife, uh, it was tough. You'd hear people come in with a litany of grievances of my needs aren't being met. and He does this. Yeah, but she does that. And, you know, all I could do is sit there and think, at least you have each other. Mm. You ought to make the best of it. Mm. And that That's tough. And, uh, you know, you, you have to move from focusing on yourself. You can become self-centered because of the hurt, but you've got to start to focus on other people. And uh, you've got to engage socially. And uh, after losing a spouse, you feel quite frequently you're sort of the, the fifth wheel. And, uh, but you, 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 know, you, you push through that and you force yourself to, to engage socially. The thing that I realized is that life was anything but normal. Um, normal stopped, normal didn't exist anymore, and I was having to recreate a new normal. And uh, a new normal where I worked every day, and um, I was single, and um, all the kids were grown and gone, and you know, um, yeah, I cried, I wanted my life back. I wanted everything to return to the way it was, but it didn't. Um, but learning to adapt and learning to change, um, that again is what I was talking about when I talked about learning to be thankful. And um, there's a 
several times in the New Testament, I know, um, the instruction is to be thankful in everything. And I can remember I walk, I would get up and walk. I'd do my morning devotional and then I'd go to the church and um, walk laps with a friend of mine. And she and I would discuss things and we talked about being thankful in everything. And uh, I can remember one day when it, it hit me, I can't be thankful for God taking Wayne. I can't, I can't thank him for that yet. And she said, Lorinda, you're going to have to, because it says to be thankful in everything. And so I began to pray, Lord, I'm going to tell you, thank you for giving me this life that you've given me for making this choice for me, but you're going to have to make my heart um, feel that. And uh, because I know he's better and I know I'm growing and I'm stronger than I've ever been before. I depended on God more than I ever had. Um, but I learned that our faith doesn't allow us to change things that are unbearable. But what faith does is it helps us to bear through things that are unchangeable. Mm. And so a friend had given me that quote. I'm not quite sure where she found it, but, um, to realize that this was part of God's plan. Like he had said in Jeremiah 11. You know, that he had this planned all along. Part of me wanted to say, why? <laughs> why did you have this plan for me? I've got a whole lot of other ways we could have done this. But he did have this plan. I did grow. I am stronger in my faith. And look what I've got. You know, he brought Larry uh, at a time when I had, had learned that uh, he gives us um, you know, you know, part of once you get through some of these steps is that you finally have to come to the conclusion that, that Lorenda said is that God has a purpose in this. And it's, I call it uh, revitalizing. Mm -hmm. Over Jeremiah, it, it says that uh, God has good, has plans for us not to harm us, but to help us <laughs> yeah. and uh, to give you a future and a hope. And the toughest thing is when you're in the middle of uh, a tragedy like this is you can claim the hope, but you're not ever going to really feel that hope until you get through the trial. Mm. And uh, you have to understand that, you know, these things happen in our life and uh, it's not the end. It's probably the close of a chapter and the start of a new chapter in our lives. And you have to finally get to the point to start looking forward and, and uh, being excited about what God's going to do. And there was a scripture we referred to earlier over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And it says that God's going to get you through this so that in the future you can help others go through the same thing. And so that's what, that's what we have found in, in God's plan and uh, we, we sort of picture it sometimes that uh, it's like you're going, you know, when you, in, in 23rd Psalm, it says, uh, going through the valley of the shadow of death. I had thought about that earlier as, you know, when you're facing death and hadn't thought about that it actually, when you go through the loss of someone, through mm -hmm. the death of someone, that God walks through you 
and there's sort of a, a illustration that that I like to use is it's as if we were both were walking because the seven years that she was getting over the death uh, I was going through seven years of knowing that death was coming for my spouse mm. and the, the picture I like to imagine is walking through that valley of the shadow of death and God's holding my hand with one hand and holding Lorinda with the other and we didn't, don't see each other mm. and we walk through that shadow of death and then when we get to the other side he puts our hands together mm. just through those those times mm. so uh, kind of what I hear you saying and, and it's very encouraging but it's like in 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 the moment in the darkness you can't see what that other side has in store for you but it's that choice that you make to keep walking yeah. through that valley that, you know, knowing that on the other side, there is hope. You know, there's a, a verse in Psalms that, um, I don't, I can't, I can't give you the address, but it says, basically, I think David was writing, you know, what is, what is too much or what, what more can I do for all that God's done for me? Yeah, life had been hard. Life, life had uh, not always gone the way I had expected. We had lost parents and grandparents and uh, even siblings, and um, and God had gotten us through those times. But there was nothing like um, losing a spouse. It was different than anything else because before life began returns to normal for everybody else. You know, you just don't get to talk to daddy or to mama or have them there for holidays. But when it's a spouse, everything, everything changed. It's like losing half of yourself. Yeah. Half mm -hmm. of your identity. And mm -hmm. then you have to go back and refocus and reboot. And move on. I had to reinvent myself. You see, I had always been somebody's mama, somebody's wife. And then all mm. of a sudden, I'm just me. And it's like, okay, now, I, you know, I did, I did, and I made decisions based on what my family needed or my family wanted. Because that's, you know, or my church needed. But now, just to learn, okay, now, how do I do this? I'm the one responsible. I'm the one what do I want? And I spent a lot of time just me and God. A lot of mornings just sitting and talking and crying and writing and <laughs> he let me process it. He didn't care. He knew my heart to begin with, so it was okay for me to fuss at him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way I like to put it is you don't let your actions be driven by feelings mm. you take the right actions and then the right feelings are going to follow mm. and uh you know when you go through a tragedy it never says you have to like it never really god never says you have to understand it but you just have to to by faith walk and move on and take the right actions and then the right time 
you're going to experience that hope that you've claimed. Can we tell them how, how we met? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually, um, the ABA, the American Baptist Association, um, we had known each other through associated work. Um, and About 25 years or so. Yeah, yeah. Because I knew he and Thelnita, um, and I knew their ministry. I knew, I saw them uh, at ABA meetings, at the booths. They would have their booth set up, and we'd be working with the missionary that was out of our church. And uh, it was really fun because Brother Joe and Jesse Morrell, um, we sent them out of our church. And then Brother Joe had finished his work in Lithuania and come back and um, was looking to see where God wanted him next. And he ended up being the pastor at Flatwoods. Um, and Dale and Larry had gone to Lithuania on multiple trips to teach um, the marriage seminars and to teach the leadership conferences and to work with the churches there in Lithuania and Estonia and Latvia and all of them, all of the churches there uh, in the Baltic states. And so um, when Larry reached out through instant message on the computer one Sunday afternoon, I basically I would just stalk my kids on, on Sundays because I didn't have time to look at the computer any other time, but I'd look at the Facebook and see what my kids had done that week. And while I was doing that, between church times on Sunday, Larry sent a message, you know, that um, he was grappling or struggling with the grief process. Did I have any words of wisdom? Well, in the six years uh, time, I had talked with lots of people that had lost spouses and we had prayed together and worked together. So Larry and I began talking and eventually he came up from Louisiana to visit his daughter in Springdale. And then I went over from Mountain View and visited my daughter in Eureka Springs. And uh, we set up a meeting at a little cafe called Oscars. And we sat at Oscars and talked for two and a half, three hours. And by the time we finished that meeting where I felt like I was you know, I was there to counsel with a friend that needed help. And then by the time it was ready to go, my engineer here, he said, <laughs> I'd like to pursue relationship. <laughs> and I thought I'd never heard anybody talk like that before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this could be fun. <laughs> so, so Larry, did you go into that meeting knowing you were going to ask that question at the end or was it like a, uh, well, it was more exploratory. <laughs> I, had, I had known Lorinda for a number of years, and I, and I knew by reputation. But then talking with her and uh, decided that, yeah, this, this was the real thing, that, that I, I saw the character. And that's mm. one thing I had had always been teaching is, uh, you know, young couples, uh, who should you marry? You need to marry first someone with character. And uh, I saw a character 
I just didn't know the character I was getting. <laughs> but uh, so I got a, I got a twofer. I got someone with character and someone that was a character. So, Lorinda, what was your reaction then? What was your, were you surprised? Were you like, Yeah, oh. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the first face-to-face. -face and um, and the way he expressed himself was so different than what I, nobody had ever just said, want to pursue a relationship. And I, <laughs> and I was just, I, I said, okay. Yeah, okay. But you see, Kate, I had been praying for God to, if he had someone else for me, mm. that uh, he would be a man that could be my spiritual leader. Mm. I knew that um, I needed somebody that knew the word, that had a working relationship with the same Lord I did, and uh, that we could share um, the good, the bad, and the ugly that, uh, that we have to deal with. And, um, and I saw all of that in Larry Fincher, you know, he was exactly what I had asked for and, um, and he hasn't disappointed. And then I get a whole lot of other good stuff at the same time. <laughs> and, you know, referring back to that morning at the coffee pot, I've got, I'll do this, but you'll have to provide the way. And Lorinda was the way that God provided to continue family ministry. And before we got married, uh, we spent August a two or three hour session and uh, just said, well, at this point in our lives, what would God have us do? What, what would we have to offer? What, uh, where, what do we do? Where do we go next? And the next week I was in Springdale and I sat down with the staff at uh, Pathway and I asked them the question. I said, if, if Lorinda and I get married and we move up here, what are your needs? What, what does Pathway, what does the staff need? And so when I took the list that we had discussed and the list that the staff said the needs were, they matched. And so from that point, then we decided that we would move to Springdale and we wanted to be a part of uh, Pathway. And what was on that list? Uh, it was really the first thing that, that jumped out was every staff member said, our wives pour out and pour out and pour out and they need someone to pour into them. Mm. And this is what Lorinda has been doing all of her life, is pouring into people. And they said, and we need someone to sort of coach and mentor and encourage us. And I'd spent 30 years in leadership in the corporate world, the church world. And so I spend time with, with staff members together and one-on-one -on -one uh, sort of being a, a coach and a safe place for them. Hmm. And then they you know, talked about family ministry and on down the line, different, different needs. And so uh, that we felt was what God had in store for us. You know, I had uh, 
had been associate youth in Louisiana, and um, but when we got to Flatwoods, I was a pastor's wife. And I found out very quickly that although I had lots and lots of friends, um, the pastor's wife was a very lonely position. Hmm. And um, because you have to be so careful. I have. How come? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I had learned years before that. I despise gossip and and I prayed hard for God to help me overcome the well if I had done it I'd have done it this way okay <laughs> and and so to learn to keep my mouth closed in a group of people and not to have or express the way I thought it should be or even to complain about the pastor when he aggravated the daylights out of you, you know, uh, you haven't, you can't, you can't just vent to people of the church because it's their pastor. And then when people come to you and they're hurting, you have to keep this to yourself. And it's what all pastors go through. You don't go and share it in a prayer request, which we heard many times. But there's so many things that we just have to take to God. And um, and so... I think in any position of leadership, uh, yeah. pastor, pastor's wife, that uh, people are always looking to you to pour into them. Mm. And you don't have many places in leadership that you can go to someone and have them pour into you or share things with them and, and uh, just have a safe place. And so that's what I've been over the years. That's what Lorinda has been over the years is just a safe place. Cause we were raised in, in pastors homes and, and we, mm. we knew the needs of pastors and pastors wives. And so, it's just not pathway, but uh, we we do this frequently. Uh, there's a couple in New Zealand that uh, we meet with by Zoom every other Wednesday and just sort of are places that they can uh, be open, be free. Uh, we can encourage them. We can share their burdens with us, with their burdens with us. And literally, you don't tell anybody but God mm. people are hurting. And um, that's, um, that's needful. But like I was told a long, long time ago, sometimes it really helps to talk with somebody with skin on. And so that's what we like to be for these pastors and their wives. Mm. that um, they can talk to us and not be concerned about it going someplace else. Yeah. Mm. So then why Pathway? Why why specifically drawn to Pathway? You had that list and it matched up, but was there because of the ABA connected through there or what? Um, I think that was probably part of it, but yeah. 
I was on staff at a church in Monroe, Louisiana, and she, of course, had been on staff at a church in uh, Mountain View. And so we we thought that uh, it'd be good to find a, a place that we could sort of start fresh, uh, where it didn't seem odd to people that we were together rather than she was with Wayne and I was with Felnita. Hmm. Just sort of start, start again. And uh, I had always wanted to come back to this area ever since I graduated. And it, it took about 40, 40 years to get back. Yeah. And so it, it was as if God had just sort of orchestrated to fill some needs and give us a location and give us a, and we like to refer to it as this is Larry and Lorinda 2.0. <laughs> it's a, a new a new chapter. Yeah. Just a new chapter in our lives. Yeah. So did you ever think, like, I mean, I going through the loss of, of your spouse, that where is there ever a moment where you're like, I'm not marrying again. I'm not going to go through this again. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to subject myself to that. I think it's been my experience that if you have a good marriage, then you're not adverse to remarrying. Uh, yeah, there's there's the risk always, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. If I marry again, then there's be a potential loss, but the the upside far outweighs the risk. Mm. And uh, I've I enjoy being a husband. I enjoy being a dad. I enjoy being a, a granddad. And uh, so we went from, well, where we've ended up is we have five children and 15 grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I, I find it, you know, very, very fulfilling. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I, I got married the first time at 18 years old, and um, I always thought of myself as a wife. And being independent and being an individual, and uh, I learned to be comfortable in that. But I always, in my head, up until probably into that sixth year, expected God to bring somebody else to me. And uh, my kids would say things like, Mom, you're never going to find a husband in Mountain View. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm not looking for one. And I'm not going to go and seek something out on the Internet. And I'm not going to go and put out an ad in the paper or anything like that. Um, like I said, God helped me learn to be content, single, and enjoy life. Um, with the people of my church and with uh, friends that I had and going to uh, the kids and playing games with the grandkids and going and having my nails done with the girls or whatever, you know, we decided to do together. I would go to their retreats and, and uh, meet their people. And uh, I know that there was a time when I found it recently when I was looking back at my Bible 
that uh, I had prayed, remember, when for God to enlarge my coast. And uh, I was reading that. <laughs> I hadn't even told you this yet. <laughs> but I was reading that the other day, and I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> I had no idea how he was going to enlarge my coast when I started praying that back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are in 2020. And uh, my coast has way outgrown what I ever dreamed or imagined. And uh, it's just the way God works. If you could give one piece of advice to someone who's in that valley, who's in that grieving process, what piece of advice would that be? Mine would be when you don't understand, just trust God. But that's what I had to do. I had to decide to trust God no matter what was going on, no matter how hard it was. Um, I had to learn to adapt and to adjust my wants and my expectations were considerably changed. And I had to trust God with the everyday. And he gave me what I needed as I needed it. I couldn't anticipate it. But what I needed every day, he provided. And, um, and I learned there was great security even in that. I guess what I would say is, first, it's a choice. And make a choice to, make, to get better through this. And to do that, I think the key word is persist. But you have to keep on know that you do the right things and uh, in time that the Lord's going to give you the hope that you claim. Well, that was pretty good. Yes, we are so thankful for Larry and Lorenda willing to share their story. Learning to persist because of what we have in Jesus is what we were talking about this school year. And this story is a great example of how to have hope and purpose in the midst of heartbreak. We want to connect with you and encourage you. Reach out to us at pathwaybaptist.com connect and let us know how we can pray for you or help you persist in living out your purpose.